1: I am a marketer with more than 15 years of experience. I run a coaching and consulting business where I help small businesses, nonprofits, and mid-sized businesses grow through marketing.
0: Kendra, thank you for being here. This is gonna be a great conversation. The reason we connected and wanted to talk today is a, a bunch of things. We have a, a lot of things that kind of overlap and I feel like this could be a really long show if we you know, both wanted to let it go all day, but we're not gonna do that. <laughs> we know that people kind of lose patience. So <laughs> we're gonna focus in and specifically talk from kind of an MBA and strategic perspective about email marketing. And I know that sounds kind of strange to begin with. Email marketing is not necessarily a course I took in grad school. (laughs) So in terms of kind of strategy and why it works and kind of talking about that, but then the big question we're gonna ask is how to grow your email list and kind of why that matters and how to do that without pay-per-click and So that's kind of the the details of the show today. And I know you come from an MBA background, too. And so we're going to really dig into kind of strategy and meaning and how it all works and all that good stuff. So let's get started. Let's talk about email marketing. Let's talk about why. Why first? Why, Why should we even bother talking about email marketing?
1: So email marketing is my f- most favorite thing to talk about. Oh, that's but the unique. Reason, <laughs> I know. The, the reason why is really because it has a proven return on investment. Depending on what numbers you're looking at and the surveys that have been done, return on investment for marketing is anywhere between 38 and $42 for every dollar you spend. Nice. That's Where amazing. Where else do you get that kind of return?
0: Nowhere. nowhere yeah i mean you're lucky if you get a 1% response rate which then you know filters back down to whatever you know your your numbers are but you don't you don't see those kinds of double digit numbers anywhere so so where, where why why is that
1: so email marketing is so powerful because it is personalized it can be personal. And you're reaching people in something that they consider personal their email inbox, right? You get junk mail in your box at the end of the road, you get junk mail, or junk ads in your Facebook feed and Google feed and all that fun stuff. You don't accept it as much in your inbox. So when you will invite somebody to be able to send you marketing emails, you want to hear from them. And so you're already predisposed to being open to hearing what they have to share with you. And it keeps them top of mind. So even if I don't have time to read a marketing email, like I delete a lot of the ones that I get. But every now and again, I'll hit on it. I get at least one reply a week from my email newsletter, with someone saying, Hey, I was just thinking about you. Nice. I wonder why they were thinking about me <laughs> because my email showed up in their yeah. inbox. <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> exactly. So it keeps them top of mind. And unlike social media, everybody's in their email all the time. Right? How often do you spend an email? I mean, it's hours a day. In social media, I might go on today well, I do for a job, but if I was like a regular person, I might go on today and scroll through my feed or tomorrow, or you might not be able to reach me until for two weeks.
0: You know, okay, so while you were describing that, I'm picturing social media feeds, and I'm picturing my inbox, and I'm picturing a similar message in both that lands really differently. And so my next question is, what what people do wrong about this? And and my first thought when I was thinking about when it's just rude and so bothers me is a lot of this political stuff where I am pretty sure I didn't sign up for some of this and it's just incessant and it drives me nuts. And I'm like, leave me alone. <laughs> so where are they going wrong? And why do they keep doing that if it's wrong? Is it, is it working on some end?
1: So to some extent, it does, unfortunately. But if you do non-permission based marketing, which is a worst practice, if we're going to talk about and best illegal, practices, <laughs> <worst>. yes. <laughs> so if you are buying lists or getting lists from things or taking assumed opt-ins from a third party, those types of things, those are those are just bad practices, and that's the feeling that you're getting from it. However, there are people that that message is resonating with and they are interacting with it. And people are looking at it as the easy way out. But overall, in the end, it's not nearly as effective. And it actually ruins your relationship with some other people that could potentially be clients.
0: Yeah, so is it just because politics has got such a short lifespan and so they just don't really care about coming across the wrong way? It just seems so strange to me that they would not not care that they're doing so much damage potentially more damage than good
1: it's a short window so they are trying to beat the clock and if they lose some they're still top of mind with others and that's really what it comes down to for them
0: so what? So that's obviously obnoxious and it's not really the lessons that we want to <laughs> follow. So so let's talk about what they're doing wrong and what what you kind of mistakes that people make that we, we shouldn't be doing.
1: So one of the things that that people should not do is send email blasts. I hate that word. <laughs> it is not a blast. You are sending e- you're sending an email right? You don't send a blast from your Outlook or your Gmail, right? You're sending an email. I'm still getting it in the same place, whether you're sending it from your Outlook or an email marketing system like Constant Contact, Convert Kit, wherever. And You have to treat it that way. I'm
0: picturing like this 80 year old, like it's such an ancient word, an email blast. It's like, you know, go get me the yellow pages. I need to send an email blast.
1: (laughs) It's so old school. But it's what they do, right? So that's one of the issues is that they view it as a blast. Don't view it as a blast. This is a very personal source of information. So you want to make it as personal as possible. So having it personal and personalized is really important. Mobile optimized. People, I build all my email newsletters on my desktop. I look at every single one of them on my phone. I love building on desktop. I'm a desktop girl. I'm going to read most of it on a desktop. But if it looks, if it can look good on mobile, you're doing much better. Because so many emails are looked at on mobile devices now. I mean, how often are people checking their phone on on their mobile device? All the time. And even if they have a job where they're at their desktop a lot, it'll still, if it looks good on mobile, odds are it's going to look okay on desktop. It may not be to the ex- to design extent that you want, but it needs to be optimized for both.
0: Right. I think that's a really important point because I've seen so many where it's just flat out mistakes like they're just not even seeing that like this whole mobile experience the pictures overlaying text and it's not even just like it doesn't look good it's a m- huge mistakes like you know you that just totally ruined this whole impression that I might have had otherwise and I'm assuming now that you've got some kind of low-grade amateur doing your emails and so then that's just kind of this bad brand experience and it's just bad all the way around and all it took was like even within the different email providers that you use, you can test it and see right on your screen what it's going to look like. So it's just a matter of checking. (laughs) Like it's not that Yeah, you just have
1: to check it. And don't get too caught up in, you know, oh, I want it super designed. Well, the more designed it is, the less personal it feels sometimes. And so you really need to build it for your audience. You know, think about one column wherever possible, or a dynamic design. Again, most of the email marketing systems will automatically do that for you if you set it up right. Do not, do not, do not upload one big picture. Don't do that, please. Well, have a people tendency.
0: Ask me to do this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, they ask me to do it too. They're like, here. Oh well, this flyer looks really, really Can nice. Can you just blast out this out. PDF? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, it's exactly what I get asked all the time. They're like, oh, it doesn't look like the flyer. And I was like, no, but someone could read this on their phone. And they don't have to download the pictures. We want people to be able to get the message without downloading the images because some people don't necessarily download the images or if they open it up and they haven't downloaded the images yet, they can still get the message.
0: Yes. I say this all the time. And this is a slight tangent, but I have a lot of clients who ask about, you know, these involved fancy email signatures and I say I don't do this myself because it looks like a mistake. It looks like something, you know, it, by default, Gmail which also if you're using google workspace or whatever turns off your images and so most people by default have them turned off so when they open your email it's just gonna have this error and like there's a missing image so it looks really bad so i just have a nicely designed text-based signature i mean come on it's your email signature (laughs) we don't have to make it so complicated but for the same reasons you don't need to go over the top with your email newsletters or your email funnels or you know whatever these email things that you're sending. I actually, as a person who is kind of my soul and core is in design and making things look good, I, a couple of years ago, switched my newsletter to entirely text-based. I have one image at the bottom and I read so much about the open rate of a simple text-based email. Because when you think about it, as soon as people open it, it's very nicely done. It's a very nice font. <laughs> it's very like nicely spaced out. But when you think about it, if you instantly open an email and it's all designed and it looks like a commercial and an ad and all of that stuff, you're instantly on edge and kind of questioning it and thinking, what do they want from me? What are they selling? But if it looks like I just sent you an email and I'm just kind of going paragraph after paragraph with some text, and I'm just going to tell you something interesting, the likelihood that you're going to read it and respond goes through the roof. So, I mean, and then you don't have to worry about like these complicated designs. So what, so do you do that yourself? Do more kind yes. of heavily text-based? Nice.
1: <laughs> I do. Yeah. I, I'm right on. I'm nodding with you because that's exactly what I do. So I did a bunch of tests myself. I went from a designed email with images and things like that to text only, I've actually graduated to, I use a a GIF or a GIF, JIF, whichever way you want to say it, but I say GIF, a GIF in each email because it just adds a little something for people. And my audience responds well to that. It may not work for your audience, but I find that that GIF adds a little bit of lightness and enjoyment into it and has increased it. So I'm somewhere right in between with the one image. And I think Yeah, people are opening and engaging with my emails more than they did when it was some fancy newsletter.
0: Yeah, and I found that myself. I was, when I was redesigning everything and over the years I'm like, okay, I have a folder of emails that, and newsletters that I've enjoyed, that I know that even if it's not the best content, it's stuff that I've actually read through and then I save that. I'm like, oh, I just read that email. I'm gonna save that. And then I go back through and I found that most of them were simple text, with one image maybe a photo of the person who was sending it so I put it's all text and then I put one image with a link to our podcast <laughs> and so it kind of talks about a recent episode
1: <laughs> and that's it which is fantastic and what you're doing is a great practice to have it's called an inspiration folder you can literally call it inspiration in your folders in your email and then just drag and drop it so if you see something that you like and that's engaging for you drag and drop it over there and then go visit that when you're revisiting your branding and different things that you're doing
0: exactly and then you start to notice these patterns and it's like okay well look at all of these this really worked and they all have this one thing in common and what is that thing okay well maybe i'll do that too (laughs) and a lot of them i also noticed i followed some big major brands where you know their budgets are massive and they are you know spending a lot of time And they had these huge audiences too, and it's like, okay, if this brand is doing this, and I'm responding to that in a certain way, and I liked that, then clearly they've done a lot of testing, a lot, and so why don't I just kind of take the work that they've already done and say, oh, okay, this is great. Let me (laughs) let me do more of the same.
1: (laughs) No, it's a it's a great way to utilize the mega research teams and that these larger companies have. to apply to your stuff better.
0: Right, okay, so with that in mind, so we were kind of, kind of dancing around this idea of high text, low graphics, low, you know, complicated design, being a higher conversion, but let's talk more specifically about what are the things that actually convert? How do you get people to respond and grow that list in more meaningful ways?
1: So to get people to respond and engage with your emails, the less calls to action, the better. I'm a big fan of the paradox of choice. It was a TED talk that was done a while ago. I think he's actually wearing jorts in it. I love <laughs> jorts. So you do want to check that out. <laughs> but he he talks about the fact that if we have too many choices, we just can't decide. And so you wanna give people as few choices as possible to take action in your emails. So for instance, for for Karin and your podcast, it's one episode that they're clicking on and then maybe something else in the PS. Oh, I love PSs, by the way.
0: I do the same thing.
1: <laughs> they awesome. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. But that's all they have. And it might be two places to click, but it's still one call to action. That's key. Every call to action you add reduces the engagement each time. Now, it really falls off after three, like they've done all the research, all the big companies have done all of the research. And once you add that fourth call to action, it's gone. Like they it's too many decisions, people aren't going to do it, they freeze and they just don't do anything instead. So the more reaction and the more important something is for you, make an email about it just that. So that's one one way to get engagement. The other one is to segment your list. That is a huge plus because you want to write each email to one person. You want to envision that person and the issues and what they're struggling with when you write your email. And again, that's that personal and personalized. It's not just saying, Dear Kendra on an email. Yes, that's a personalization, but I want to feel like it applies to me. So when I did a test for one of my clients, I they have a lot of for-profit and nonprofit clients. We separated it and when we were headed in towards the end of the summer talking about Giving Tuesday and checking on your donations and all this other stuff that we were talking about and strategy related to that, when we sent that specific newsletter to the nonprofits, the nonprofits opening the emails quadrupled. Oh, wow. Yeah, they got a ton of engagement because it was personalized to them. We knew who the email was going to and what they wanted out of it. That is a key. And that's going to get you more engagement. Now, if you start adding a question in your emails and ask people to reply, it's not going to happen immediately. And you have to have patience with that. But you can also ask people to reply. Again, simple, not overdesigned, single call to action. That's what's going to get you the most results.
0: And so my next question has to do with how to get it to convert without it being salesy. Because I felt I feel like in, the, in your first point about that decision and that overwhelm, I think the other issue with having too many calls to action is it, it comes across as cheesy and salesy. And as soon as people see that you're asking for some kind of a sale, they turn it off, they just, they're, they're turned off and they just kinda of back away and whatever. So how do you do that in a way that gets those conversions but doesn't add all those extra calls to action and doesn't come across in that
1: gross way? So you're writing to one person, right? So if you start there, then you know what that person needs and you know the value that you can provide for them, right? And provide to them that's the important piece. I never sell. I'm getting ready to head into a course launch for my email marketing course. And I'm going to send some I'll call them sales emails, right? But I don't view that as selling. I am adding value with every email I send. I'm answering a question or I'm sharing insights and information in all of the emails that I send. So I look at it as coming from a position of value. And the value that you're providing to them, it doesn't feel salesy and it doesn't feel gross.
0: So what would a call to action sound like in that kind of a situation where you're providing that value, you're talking about your course, like this is something you really need or you know whatever it is that, that a person might be talking about that is something that they need. And I understand that you've got these challenges and, and I've got this solution for you. But then what, what's that call to action that doesn't sound salesy?
1: So sometimes it's a, hey, you know what, click here and learn more and see if it's right for you. Or maybe it's a, hey, reply to me with any questions that you might have as to whether or not this is the right fit for you. Or here's a click, click, schedule a 15 minute meeting on my calendar. So we can talk about if you're on the fence, like if this is the right program for you. So give people opportunity to ask questions and engage. Again, you know, you're providing, you've got so much that people overlook and don't do. And, you know, especially in the legal profession, people don't think about it a lot of times until it's too late, right? It's a little bit like insurance, you don't you don't want it until you need it. And by then usually it's too late. So you really want to think about, you know, the value that you provide and if someone doesn't hire you for your services, think about all of the problems that they could result in and all the lost revenue and money and personal issues. And it's huge. Right. And all the things that you're saving them from and
0: all those things that are at risk that they're not even thinking about because you've been doing this for years and years and you've seen what happens when they don't do the thing that you're providing. (laughs) So. So, OK, two other questions I have. The first one is I saw that you talk a lot about how do you answer the question when people ask, well, most of my business is referrals. Do I really need an email marketing list? And, and I know what I say to this. <laughs> but um, what's your answer to that when they're thinking, "Ah, it's all my friends and my colleagues.
1: Do I need to do this? So the answer is yes. But the, when I answer it, I, I always use myself as an example because I focused a lot on working in my business and not on my business when I started out. And I've been in business now for myself for over nine years. I'm headed into my 10th year now. And when I was focused in my business, yes, everything was referral, but referrals come and go. You never know when someone's going to have a referral or need for a marketing consultant, Right. So not staying top of mind, not building that list was a problem. It was something that I did wrong. And when I fixed that problem and actually focused on my email list, my business grew huge. And it grew consistently. It was more in my control.
0: Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. I also feel like they often don't realize what they're missing. And so it's your job to kind of inform them and let them know, hey, there's these things that you may be missing and I can help fix this. And you may be having the XYZ problem and you may not even realize this, but here I am. I'm here to save the day (laughs) to help you out.
1: Exactly. So just sharing information with people because there's so much stuff that we just don't know and don't realize. And so asking questions answering questions keeps you top of mind people begin to know like and trust you and then that's building that relationship over email allows you to build relationships at scale which allows you to scale your business
0: I also find that the longer they have been around and they've been on my list they think of themselves as a current client and so when a thing comes up in their mind also because I'm sending these emails but they they don't they don't even Consider looking elsewhere because they assume that I am already, they're already a client, even though this new thing is creating a new relationship, which, you know, obviously we're going to have a new, you know, agreement and all of that stuff. But because of that email ongoing kind of interaction, they're considering themselves a current client.
1: Yeah, if you think about think about social media, my my husband uses my accounts and he I confuse Facebook with all the groups that he's in, but he'll scroll through it and then he'll be like, "I know that person." And I'm like, "No, you don't." It's because he saw them on social media, right? And that's the same thing with email marketing. There's a relationship building even if you never met in person. And they're like, "Oh, Oh, Karen, it's so good to see you or hear from you again. And you're like, we've never met. Yeah, In you've person. never seen my legs.
0: <laughs> we may have met on Zoom once, but you, you, do I even have a lower body? <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. so you know when you're when you're using and leveraging email marketing, you're building your business at scale and you're building relationships. You can't overlook that. And you know what, even if you're starting with just friends, families, and colleagues, that's okay because you're learning and you're building and you're finding your voice that's gonna resonate with your audience,
0: yeah. Okay, so before we get to the book review, my last question is that I know that you had this illustrious career working for Fortune 500 companies. What are some of the and and that's such a different world of marketing where you have these elaborate, you know, you have teams and and budgets, huge budgets and you know, all of that stuff. I also had kind of a career back in the day probably not quite similar, but you know, in a corporate environment, what are some of the tips and tricks that you were able to learn in that experience that, that translate to a small business? And you know, obviously not everything does translate because large corporate campaigns are so different, but what have you been able to take away that translates for some of the small businesses you work
1: with? So a couple of things that I learned, one is consistency. We were able to be consistent, partially because I managed five agencies, so they were able to be consistent because I wasn't doing it. But, you know, again, it's a struggle for small businesses, but when small businesses and smaller practices, when you guys focus on being consistent and showing up for your audience on a regular basis, they notice. Maybe not to the point where they're like, Oh, you're so consistent. No, but they're seeing it, it's staying top of mind, and it's resonating with them. And that's really, truly the key for that. So that consistency was probably the number one thing that I learned. I was the Jeep advertising manager, which was amazing. I learned a lot about branding because we were very protective of the Jeep brand.
0: You know, and that's super important for any size business to define it, number one, spend a lot of time and effort figuring that stuff out and then protect it to make sure that you kind of own that space and people don't come in and infringe on it.
1: Yeah, so, you know, again, figuring out your brand, which is more than just your logo and your colors, figuring out your voice and knowing what that was and what you stand for. That's huge. And we were always writing to one person. The agencies created ads based on personas that were heavily researched with focus groups and lots and lots of money. But it helped knowing that information. So with small businesses, I've just translated that to phone calls. As a small business owner, as a, as a small practice leader, even just call some people that you'd want to work with. Hey, I'm doing some research. I was wondering if you'd spend a little bit of time with me so I can ask you a few questions and get them to explain what they're struggling with and what they know so that when you're writing your next email, you're writing to them and it's resonating with them.
0: I also find that I get a lot of that information in an inquiry call that some people are would call a sales call. But in that initial call, I've learned the hard way over years and years of doing it the wrong way that I need to be quiet and listen and let them do all the talking. And that's going to explain, as they talk through it, as long as you're supporting that you have the answers for these things that are coming up, they're selling themselves on you. But it also gives you all this amazing research. Like, tell me how you found out about us. And then they just let them go. Well, I did this. And then I went to Google. And then I found and it's like, okay, write all that stuff down. And then do that again. (laughs) Maybe
1: if they're good. Somebody (laughs) found me in the yellow pages, yellowpages.com. I couldn't believe anybody else used that. But I was like, Oh, wow. That's a pro for getting listed on all of those local listing sites, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah, if it was a good client.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was a good one, yeah.
0: Okay, so that's, I feel like, just to summarize like the the big corporate campaign ideas, I regularly say that patience and consistency are the two most underrated marketing strategies that there are. And nobody wants to hear this because they all want this golden ticket that they're going to have, you know, a million dollars in the bank next Tuesday. but it ties back with everything you were talking about building these relationships. You, it, it takes patience and consistency. You can't just go out on a first date with someone and, a, and, you know, be married and have kids by next week. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes consistency. And if you do it the right way, then you have this, you know, nice, healthy and, you know, growing kind of batch of potential clients that you can work from. But it takes some time. And that's there's kind of no way around that.
1: No, there's really not. But I'm 100% with you. Patience and consistency. You can't do something once or twice and be like, oh, that doesn't work. I recommend trying something for at least three months. That's the minimum. If you want to go longer, then that's good. But at least three months. And if you can do it consistently, then you can start making some adjustments and taking a look to see what's working and what's not working. But you can't say that something doesn't work if you haven't given it a consistent three months minimum
0: minimum yeah and even especially if you are a brand new law firm so you have nothing before that three months you have no web presence no social media presence you didn't even have a logo before the beginning of that three months then three months is even pretty short because you know all those things have to work together and it takes just it's like a nice slow simmering stew like you you got to let it do its thing (laughs) give it some time
1: (laughs) yeah if you have nothing going into it then you're probably looking at nine to 12 months to really make a call as to whether or not things are working. You can tweak them along the way as you're getting data. But you really want you can't make a decision that something's working or not working without that, that longer time period, because it takes time, people need to see your message. I think it's up to like 17 times almost before they remember it because we're inundated with so many messages on a regular basis that they can't you're not the most important thing to them
0: exactly and then on top of that you need the timing to align so maybe they're going to remember you but the thing that they need you for isn't going to happen until another three months down the road so like you know just because they are now paying attention to you and remembering you doesn't mean that all of a sudden now today is the day they want the divorce maybe it's you know six months from now or whatever it is
1: (laughs) Again, yeah, it's just about staying top of mind for when they need you.
0: Exactly. All right. So it is now time for the book review. So, Kendra, I know I'm excited about this one. (laughs) What what is the good, awesome, exciting book that you have to recommend to the audience?
1: All right. So my most favorite book right now is The Gap and the Gain. It is the High Achiever's Guide to Happiness, Confidence and Success. It's by Dan Sullivan with Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Dan Sullivan was the founder of Strategic Coach, and it is about about living in the game, taking a look and measuring yourself, not at, so like a lot of us, we have a tendency to set goals, right? So we start at zero, we set a goal, and it's going to be a million dollars, right? Well, we get to 500,000. Well, we're like, oh, we missed our goal. You went from zero to $500,000, like celebrate the wins. Yes, you can set challenging goals. Yes, you can still be a high achiever. But you still come from a place of the gain, right, of a place of abundance of saying, look what I accomplished. Isn't that really cool? All right. How do we reach the next level next time? And it's always about learning and coming at it from that position of abundance and not constantly being upset at what you didn't achieve. So you don't measure yourself from your goal to what you achieved. You measure yourself from where you started to what you achieved, and that helps.
0: I love this because you're talking about real results and the numbers and the data that you have versus this hypothetical idea that might not have been realistic to begin with and so maybe this goal and this idea is maybe your numbers were all off when you set that goal and it's kind of like before i worked with lawyers i worked with real estate agents i worked at century 21 and it's like people who are like i want five million dollars for my house i was like okay let's price your house at five million dollars and let's see what the market says and the market will tell you how much your house is worth. And there it's it's harsh sometimes, but there's no way around that reality. And so maybe that goal was you setting your house at a $5 million valuation and it was really worth like... 800,000 or whatever the number is. And it's like, sorry, you know, nobody's coming back with that number. Here's, but here's what you got. $800,000 is still amazing. And let's talk about what that means. And so it's like, here's the real numbers. Here's what the market is telling you. Now, how do you take those numbers and, you know, and kind of adjust and tweak and refine and make it better so that you can get to that other number?
1: Yep. And that's exactly what it's about. And it's about you know, coming from a place to be happy with where you're at, to be content and happy with what you've achieved. I, it was funny. I, so I read this when we were on vacation and I kept saying to my father-in-law, I'm like, you're in the gap. And I, cause I had explained explain to him what the, what the book was about. And when I explained to him what the book was about, I'm like, you know, he wanted a different room in where we were staying. And I was like, but we're in Mexico in this beautiful resort. No, yes, it would have been better with the other with the other room and the beautiful view. But we still had a beautiful view. And there was a lot of pros that went with it. And he's like, okay, I'll try. And so we instead of being upset that we were in a different room, we were happy to be together, healthy, yes. safe. On vacation. And on vacation,
0: yes. Glass half full. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. I'm definitely putting that on my list and adding that. to, It sounds like such a perfect idea, even just in terms of strategy too. Like, let's recognize that you're going to start here. And then it's so important, along with patience and consistency, revising and reviewing your strategy is critical. And so if you don't kind of take a look at where you've come and what got you there and, you know, continue to do more of that and less of the thing that didn't work, then you're missing, (coughs) excuse me, you're missing the boat there too. So you have to, you know, make sure that you are, uh, adjusting with, you know, whatever happens. Awesome. So Kendra, what's one big thing that you know that works
1: for email marketing? Okay, so I say that the biggest thing that works is knowing your audience. It doesn't matter what it is. If you don't know your audience, and you don't know what they're dealing with, or what they're struggling with, you can't resonate with them. Have you ever I mean, have you ever driven down the highway, and you've seen a billboard and you've nodded your head? or looked at a print ad and nodded your head or got an email and saying yes when they answered a question and asked a question and you're like, oh, they know you. You are their target audience. That is, that is the holy grail of everything that you're creating. And that's what you need to have to help people resonate with what you're sharing is you have to understand them and the struggles that they're dealing with so that your content and what you're sharing and creating is helping them. And the more you know your audience, the better everything is. You know, we were talking earlier about pay-per-click advertising and things like that. You have to know what they're searching for.
0: Yes, (laughs) exactly.
1: You have to know. So the more you understand your audience, I've found that this is the biggest gap that people have in their businesses and practices is that they don't know their audience. And if you can't tell me what the final straw was that got them to call you, you don't know your audience. Yeah.
0: Well, and you're just not listening. And so, what's happening in those conversations where you're not listening? Are you just sitting there like regurgitating your resume? I mean, what's even happening? Like, I would pay to be a fly on the wall of those conversations. Like, I did have a woman a long time ago, uh, early in the podcast, on who did the these secret shopper calls where she would call the law firm would hire her to call, call in and pretend to be a potential client. And I'm like, that is such a fun job. <laughs> like, that would be awesome. But imagine the stuff that she. Years where she says, okay, I have this issue. You're the person who supposedly can fix that. And imagine what's happening in those conversations where they, they have not figured out how to listen.
1: Yeah. So I, understanding your audience is the best thing that works because no, if you understand them and you're delivering content or emails or anything to them, you're winning
0: yeah well and everything drives from that too because your messaging everything on your website your entire online presence social media everything should be speaking to that not talking about where you went to law school and all of that other stuff like that may matter at some point in the decision process but it's definitely not up front and center. And I'm going to just tell one quick little story about like how I was this Target customer. I have two small kids and one of them was a newborn and we had just bought a Volvo. So I, you know, mom with two babies in the backseat driving down the highway and long story short, this Volvo turned into be be a lemon. Like they bought it back from us because it was so bad. I'm going down the freeway, the entire dashboard goes black and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? in a Volvo and they're probably not too happy that I'm mentioning their brand here. They did do everything right, we turned it around, but the whole experience and all my letters were from this marketing perspective and I was talking to them about I am your target client. I am the one who you are, you know, every one of your ads is talking to me and you've just totally blown it. Like this is such a horrible experience and I'll never buy a Volvo again. And they emailed me back and they're like, your emails were really kind of (laughs) painful for us to to read. Like, yeah. (laughs) But that's the example. If you know who that your target client, your Volvo, your target client is someone like me, a mom, small kids, she cares about safety, she cares about that car working when she's driving down the freeway, then you need to meet all of those concerns. Kind of write them all down. What are the things that I care about? What are the things I don't really care about? Like, I clearly don't care about certain elements of the suspension system and all of those, you know, the things that aren't going to be aligned with that. And then all your messaging and your email and everything is in line with that. So that's that's yeah. my little...
1: <laughs> no, <kind> and of- <laughs> it's and it's it's totally accurate and exactly relevant. And what you'll do is you... T- You didn't talk about your age. You didn't talk about necessarily where you lived. You didn't talk about a lot of the demographic details. What you told me outside of the the kids is that you wanted your car to work. You wanted it to be safe with your kids in it while driving down the highway. We have a tendency to say, oh, our target audience is women ages 25 to 45. No, they're not. It's a woman with you know two kids with multiple kids that cares about the safety of her child and her children and those of the, her kids friends whatever that happens to me and needs reliability because she doesn't want to get stuck and so those are the things that were keeping you up at night those were the things that you were struggling with those Those psychographic, those feelings, those priorities are way more important than any demographic information that you can provide.
0: Well, and it makes it so much easier, too, because now all of a sudden you've got stories. You've got things you can talk to. If you just have those demographic information details, like you were talking about, like this age and lives in so-and-so, it doesn't matter where I live. Like I, I want the car to work in all locations, you know, but then those are the people who start with those kinds of details and say, okay, what do I talk about? because you don't have a story. You don't really have anything to talk about. You have these people and you're not really thinking about their fears and concerns and needs and all of that stuff, but when you go to the the other side and you start talking about what they want, what they need, what they're afraid of, all of that stuff, then all the content and the language and all of the stories are so easy.
1: They're so easy. That's, I mean, so again, knowing your audience, knowing what keeps them up at night or what they're trying to achieve, what their hopes and dreams are. That's what makes a difference.
0: I love that. And I feel like that's a perfect place to wrap it all up because that's a mistake a lot of people make with those personas. And that's a it sounds like a minor tweak, but it changes everything kind of getting those stories in there. Awesome. All right, Kendra Corman is a list growth coach and consultant, and we will link to all of your good stuff, your social media profiles and your website and everything. But thank you so much for being here. This was an awesome conversation. So good. Thank you
1: so much for having me, Karn. Thank you
0: for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.